The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And good morning, everybody. This is Ray Hanania here at WNZK AM 690 Radio, broadcasting live in Detroit and WDMV AM 700 Radio, broadcasting in Washington, D.C. We're also broadcasting on the U.S. Arab Radio Network at ArabRadio.us. And, of course, on the Facebook page of one of our sponsors, our big sponsor, the Arab News newspaper at Facebook.com slash Arab News. We have a great lineup of invited guests this morning. We're going to be looking at the impact that coronavirus is having on the Arab world in the beginning of the show. Um, Just all the different challenges. Are people getting what they need as the vaccination process moving fast enough? What's the situation Uh, going on there. And then later, we're going to kind of focus in just on Tunisia and look at some of the politics that's taking place under the umbrella and cloud of coronavirus. And we have uh, uh, several guests that are going to help sort all this out for us right now. Among our invited guests, and we're waiting for a couple of them to connect in, we have Dr. Zahar Sahlul, the president of MedGlobal, which is a group of medical NGOs that help and provide healthcare, addressing disparity across the world, especially in the Middle East with refugees um, in areas of war and disaster. We also have Arab News journalist who is with us, Rebecca Ann Proctor, who covers many Arab world and Gulf stories and has worked to support uh, the SOS Children's Village in Lebanon, uh, in the Baca Valley in 2OH, who's part of uh, field work for her uh, MA uh, degree in conflict resolution. She's a former editor-in-chief of Harper, Harper's Bazaar Art and Harper's Bazaar Interiors, and now is an independent journalist and broadcaster covering current affairs in the Middle East and Africa. Kamal Ben Yunus is a Tunisian uh, academic and journalist, regional media reporter and analyst, and director of the International Community Media and Arab African Strategic Center, who's going to give us kind of a look at Tunisia, hopefully. We're going to be waiting for him to join us. And then uh, Amar Ben-Aziz, who we do have on with Ann Proctor, he's editor at Al Arabiya News Channel, which broadcasts from Dubai. He's a former supervisor of CNN Arabic uh, editor at Sky News Arabia and executive producer at, at El Hura News Channel, a political commentator on North African affairs. Amar Ben Aziz will help us understand the politics of the COVID pandemic in Tunisia and North Africa and the impact of the Muslim Brotherhood's Anada Islamic Party in the politics in that country. Uh, that'll come kind of during the final segment. We'll kind of really dig into that politics. But first, we're going to take a quick break do our first uh, ads and then when we come back we'll uh, talk with Ann and uh, Amar about what's happening and uh, hopefully our other guests will be able to join us. Uh, I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break here at the Ray Hanania radio show on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit and WDMV 
AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. We will be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination. Freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. New Dawn Academy provides your kids with a curriculum that's rich in science, technology, engineering, and math. We want students to really experience what problem solving looks like. What does it mean to build things together? And really working on those analytical skills is what makes New Dawn Academy's program very unique. This school will certainly provide them with academic excellence, but also state-of-the-art buildings and inviting to students. Ziad Brand. Quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. Well, the nice thing about having radio is it's live and you can always correct things and adjust things. Uh, we have two guests out of the four. Um, I know this has been a rough week, but uh, we're hoping our other guests will still join us. Uh, on the line with me is Arab News journalist Rebecca Ann Proctor. I think I... Uh, stumbled on that name in the introduction sorry rebecca uh she covers many uh no we appreciate you joining us she covers many arab world and golf stories um and uh we're going to talk with her now and also amar ben aziz the editor of al arabia amar thank you for joining us we really appreciate it it's great you are most welcome 
it's great to see both of you. Maybe let's just start out in a general way, um, and hopefully if Dr. Zahar Sahlul and Kamal Ben Yunus are able to join us, they can talk about the coronavirus. But let, let's talk about that a little bit, maybe from each of you. Uh, you know, how bad has coronavirus impacted the Arab world? Did we miss the bullet? Um, are we still under siege? I mean, generally, what's the uh, uh, overview, do you think? And, Rebecca, we can maybe start with you if you want. What do you think is happening out um, there sure. in the world? Well, hi, Ray. Thanks for great to see you again, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'm normally based in Dubai, although I, you know, I travel. I'm currently in Italy um, with family, <laughs> but still working. Um, but I, you know, I've traveled around the Arab world quite a bit, particularly during COVID times. I was in Egypt and also in Lebanon quite a bit after the explosions. And um, I think first to start with sort of a Gulf perspective, you know, the Gulf has been. Um, kind of, you know, really on top of the game in terms of, you know, abiding by various restrictions and mask wearing and social distancing measures. Uh, I think that the every sort of region in, in the Middle East, as we've seen, um, and I think you would agree with me, has handled the situation differently depending on, on their own sort of socioeconomic context. Um, you know, what we've seen, the Gulf has sort of has led the way in terms of their vaccine campaign. So I think right now, we're actually seeing where a lot of the inequalities and where the work might have been done better or maybe where it couldn't have been done um, with this rise of the Delta variant, which I've, I've just finished um, a feature story for Arab News on. And as we've seen with this big, you know, kind of explosive outbreak in Tunisia, which obviously has pointed to um, a lot of other, you know, political and socioeconomic problems, um, certain parts of the region have handled it better than others. I, one thing that I, I've, you know, I've really sort of, um, I think the vaccine campaign has been instrumental. It seems that the places that have been able to vaccinate the most people seem to be able to handle the, the spread, the increase in cases of the Delta um, much better. I mean, as we've seen just a few weeks ago, Saudi Arabia closed its border to several countries and the UAE is now also issuing, you know, just a few more restrictions, particularly over religious holidays. But where we have a big discrepancy is in countries, um, various countries in North Africa, as we've seen in Tunisia, and then also in you know Syria and Lebanon in particular, Yemen, um, places that perhaps that are not able to get you know access to um, easily to ICU beds and oxygen and, and vaccines. So that's that's what I've seen. The ones that can handle this virus better and the rise of the Delta, which seems to be the dominant variant. I've just spoken to someone at the H at the WHO are the ones that have been able to to really um, maintain their restrictions and and have really strong banks vaccine campaigns so we also have dr zahar sahalul a great friend of our radio show i've known him forever he's president of med global uh, which sends medical missions to help underserved populations and refugees all over the world uh, dr zahalul uh, thank you for joining us i was just asking our two guests uh, uh rebecca and proctor of the arab news and uh uh, Amar Ben Aziz, who is an editor at LRB, about what their perspective is in terms of what they see in terms of how coronavirus has impacted the Arab world. And uh, Amar, let's let, uh, if you don't mind, we'll let uh, Dr. Zahlul, if you want to. Yeah, of course. Tell us yes, a please. little bit about how uh, uh, COVID has, how has the Arab world dealt with COVID? How has COVID dealt with the Arab world? Um. I think the Arabs uh, somehow, um, I mean, and this is my perception based on my interaction with physicians and the patients in the, in the region, um, throughout the pandemic felt that they ha are special people. <laughs> and and, and let's let be frank, many of the countries that were hit 
uh, by COVID had different uh, perceptions about the pandemic. Um, many of the people uh, associated with the conspiracy, as you know, there were a lot of misinformation uh, and disinformation about COVID, and that affected how the government and the people dealt with the um, uh, measurement to restrict uh, the spread of the virus. Uh, so in many countries, there was this kind of apathy uh, about using masks, uh, using so social distancing, uh, following the government regulations and so forth. And in some of these areas, uh, some of these countries like Yemen and Syria and uh, uh, Sudan, for example, uh, there were very low testing. Uh, so the numbers that we are seeing are much less than, than the real numbers. Um, and I would say in general, many of the countries in the Arab world were spared um, um, by the large um, pandemic or the large number of, uh, of death and, uh, and, uh, and, um, and uh, sickness because of the pandemic compared to other countries like Latin America, compared to the United States, compared to Europe, compared to India. Uh, some of the countries were hit hard, uh, and especially Tunisia now, and we're seeing the same thing with um, Algeria now, we're seeing the same thing with Morocco. Uh, some of the countries have done very well, like Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates um, and Kuwait and Qatar, in terms of, and Jordan, Jordan especially, in terms of implementing measures uh, for the, uh, uh, restrict the spread of the virus, in terms of educating the public, in terms of vaccination early, uh, especially United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, because they had the means to do it. Um, and some have not done uh, well, including North African countries. And that's why we're seeing right now spread of the virus in North African countries and, uh, and Iraq, of course. Uh, and what I'm worried about that uh, the country that felt that they were immune from the pandemic in the beginning, they will hit hard now with this uh, Delta virus because it is much more, um, um, it's, it's spread much more faster and also it can cause more disease among the young. Uh, so I'm afraid that countries like Syria, like Lebanon, like uh, Egypt, uh, like Sudan, uh, will hit really hard with this Delta virus that is right now spreading in North Africa. Uh, so it, it's uh, we started out in the Arab world like there looked like there was some pretty strong control, but this Delta variant then is a much more threatening version of coronavirus, you think, much tougher to deal with? Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, we've seen the impact of Delta variant on India, uh, where you had, that's where it started. Actually, it used to be called the Indian variant, and now, now, now we call it the Delta variant. And the studies have shown that it can spread faster. It's more transmer, uh, transmittable than other variants. Uh, it can cause also more severe disease, especially among young population, uh, compared to other variants. Uh, and also because of the low vaccination rate, uh, within many countries in the Arab world, going to be hit really hard. Um, and um, right now, after one year and a half or so of the of the pandemic, you have this level of uh, kind of okay, let it let it happen. Uh, we're not going to do the same thing that we've done in the beginning. Many people, including healthcare workers, unfortunately, uh, are not dealing with the pandemic in the seriousness that it requires to be dealt with. Uh, for example, in Syria. Recently, they started the uh, uh, vaccination campaign. And what I was told by um, uh, the person responsible for the vaccination that even among healthcare workers, the level of acceptance of the vaccine is very low. Uh, vaccine hesitancy is rampant uh, in Syria. 
and many other Arab countries because of the fact that they do not understand that this virus can hit them and can hit them hard. And because the first two surges of the pandemic were relatively mild uh, in many of the Arab countries. I grew up in an Arab family and I know how they'd always say, we don't need the shot. Everything is going to be fine. We're just going to put our hands in uh, our lives in God's hands. Let's go to Amar Ben Aziz, the editor at Al Arabiya, to give us a look at the coronavirus. And I'm also going to admit to the show right now, Kamal Ben Yunus, who will uh, join us. But Amar, tell us uh, your perspective first on, you know, the coronavirus, how you see it spreading through uh, uh, the Arab world. I, uh, I would like to focus on the North Africa because sure. uh, as uh, Dr. Zahir or as uh, Rebecca has uh, mentioned before, in North Africa, I think politics has affected the coronavirus and not, not the inverse. Because if, uh, if we go back to the first stage of coronavirus pandemic, we can remember that Tunisia was the first country in the world, all over the world, that controlled that, that pandemic. It was zero case in May 2020. And it was a big success for the former government, which was led by Elias Fakhfer, who was appointed by the president, Qais Saeed, and not by a Nahda party. Let's keep that in mind. And then when they changed the, uh, the, the, the prime minister or the head of uh, government, everything collapsed because they were playing with this pandemic just to make profit, uh, some political profit. And we will come, we will uh, dig in, into that more later. And that had, Algeria, to be, that, that had to be a very dangerous game then, I guess, early when you're so confident what happened, that you're right? on top of coronavirus and then you say, hey, we could yeah. use it for politics is that that's what you're this saying is, basically yeah yeah this is actually this is this is the main reason why we are seeing what happened in tunisia a couple of days ago this is the main reason because it 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 devolved that the government which is controlled by 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 Anahda, it was playing it was just trying to make profit from everything in Algeria, if you can remember as well, in the first uh, days of coronavirus and by, by a sudden, the president, uh, Abdel Majid Taboun, was hit by coronavirus and he left Algeria and he spent months in, 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 in Germany to, uh, to be healed. So that also affected the situation in Algeria. It uh, postponed uh, how, how to deal the, the plan on how to deal with, 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 the, with the pandemic. Also, when he came, there are other political reasons. He wants to deal with, with, with Russia, so he decided to take the, a specific vaccine and not Pfizer. So politics played a big game in Libya as well. And all of that, it's because people in North Africa, you cannot control them easily like other countries. They are amid demonstration on daily basis or on weekly basis. So another party in Tunisia, let's say it was a couple of months ago, tens of thousands of people, they demonstrated without any restriction in the, in the, in the, in the streets. So the politics, it played a big, a big, a big role. It was a big factor in the situation when we see now. And uh, again, we have to compare Tunisia in May 2020 with zero cases. And now it's on the top. It's the worst, let's say, outcome 
when it comes to coronavirus in Africa and the Arab world with more than 18,000 deaths. And I want to dig deeper into that at the end, toward the end of the show during our last yes. uh, 10 minute yes, segment. Sir. But I want to ask uh, uh, Dr. Sahlul and uh, Rebecca uh, Ann Proctor, our other guests, do they see this sense of uh, did politics kind of have an impact in slowing the response? Um, you know, the coronavirus places such great restrictions, not just on the health of individuals, but on how you travel. I was just out of the country. Uh, the U.S. said, hey, if you test positive, you're going to get stuck in that country where you're at for two weeks. And that uncertainty is really scary. So I don't know, uh, Rebecca, the impact of this on countries, did we never anticipate it was going to be so bad? And have we no. finally recognized it? Yes, I no, I don't think I was remembering this, you know, well, now over a year ago, it's hard to believe it was 18 months ago. A lot of us joked. Um, I heard family members, friends, people thought, OK, by the spring, it's going to be over. By the summer, we'll be able to travel. And then, you know, month and months, you know, months went by and we realized that this wasn't going to end anytime soon. And I think we're at a point, you know, I'll say globally, but then also regionally where people are just exhausted. Um, you know, they are they are trying to abide by restrictions, but they also just desperately want to get on with their lives and they need to make money. The world needs to go on. The problem is that that's where we get sort of um, a bit of the turning point. The the risk happens again, and a bit like what's happened with Tunisia. I think some of these, which obviously you know politics plays a big role there, as politics has played a big role in COVID all over the world and continues to. Um, we're seeing a lot of people that are just um, frustrated of being controlled. They don't want to be controlled. Even in Italy, here I'll take a taxi cab and the guy wants to talk to me about how difficult it's been and how he needs to make money and how it's the government's not handling things properly. But you know, going to Going to the Middle East, I think the countries where the government has more control and can easily implement laws without having, for example, as um, um, you just said about, you know, uh, demonstrations in the street in North Africa, um, the Gulf, for example, has been able to implement those rules much more quickly. But we also opened, Dubai opened, you know, Dubai, I'm saying Dubai because Abu Dhabi was a bit different with their, with their regulations before other Gulf cities, um, because they ultimately they need tourism. You know, we need to have the influx of visitors in order to maintain, um, you know, a standard of life in terms of to to be able to maintain the economy. So, but I definitely saw we definitely saw a drop in travel. I think it has increased now, although we've seen now borders are coming up again, as in the case of Saudi Arabia. But people, um, you know, it has it definitely has affected um, travel and you know tourism. People are trying, especially in places like Egypt and North Africa, which are also very dependent on tourism you know they desperately want the borders they want things to go back to normal so that we can you know people can survive economically but again i think that's the breaking point it's that we got very, very especially countries like tunisia where it was so i remember writing a piece over a year ago and that was exactly it was the star of the piece it was tunisia was the model country for civil society development you know maintaining everybody worked together to curb to make sure this cases stayed down and now suddenly there's been this surge so I think that's sort of what I, I see. And now we have the problem of the Delta, which the last week has just um, made everybody extremely nervous again about what to do. How do we do? How do we do this? You know? And Dr. Sahlul, uh, we're going to take a break, but I want to ask you before we do that, uh, because this is so important, I think, this aspect of it. You know, when we get sick, I look to the doctor to heal me. I don't think of the doctor as being a person like me that is subject to the problems of all these, but I bet the, you know, what impact trying to help people in the Arab world, what's happened to the doctors like yourself and others in, in terms of trying to bring relief and health care to the people? How have you guys been impacted? 
Um, well, I mean, doctors and healthcare workers were impacted the same way like uh, the general public and even worse because, as you know, um, physicians and the nurses are the frontline uh, healthcare workers. Um, and uh, in the beginning of the crisis, we had shortage of PPEs in the Arab world, many countries, um, especially the ones that uh, has less means, uh, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, uh, Egypt. Uh, they, physicians in North African countries struggled to find the masks, struggled to find the um, uh, gowns and so forth and gloves. Uh, of course, you have hospitals that were affected because of the large number of hospitalizations and there were shortage of oxygen, especially. This is the first time I think in my life that we are seeing this pandemic of shortage of oxygen. What is killing patients in uh, Indonesia more than anything is shortage of oxygen. Yesterday, I've seen a video from Algeria where people are stampeding to get oxygen. I've never seen pictures like this in my life. Uh, and this is a, tra a tragedy because many of the hospitals in the Arab wars are not equipped with oxygen generators. So they are dependent on oxygen canisters. Of course, and, you're a doctor. Um, and when you talk about the oxygen, you're not just talking about the air we breathe. You're talking about a concentrated oxygen that is so clean and clear it's like 10 times better isn't it than the air we breathe because it, a lot of people are going how could we be short of oxygen definitely uh, and and this is something that is complicated because um if you are a sick if you're a patient with uh, covid pneumonia you will require oxygen through nasal cannula sometimes through the mask here in the united states we give 10 liters 20 liters 30 liters 70 liters of oxygen per minute this requires oxygen generator that it attached to the hospital. It is expensive means um, the oxygen canisters that we are seeing, these cylinders that people are buying are um, not sustainable because after a few days it will be depleted. It will need to be refilled. It's expensive. Wow. Many people do, cannot afford to have them. So this shortage of oxygen is created because of the pandemic and leading a lot of death uh, in, in Tunisia and other countries. Um, and this requires really improvement of infrastructures, medical infrastructures, and these governments are not able to provide that now during the pandemic. Is there a way to assess what percentage of doctors have been impacted by uh, coronavirus just trying to treat the disease and the challenge? Do we, we have any sense? Yeah, I mean, we had um, uh, a report uh, on the impact of uh, pandemic in Yemen. Uh, and uh, about uh, six months ago, there were 200 physicians in Yemen who died because of the pandemic. Wow. Uh, the estimates in Syria is the same thing. Um, and uh, I don't have a clear estimate about the number of uh, healthcare workers who died in the Arab world because of the pandemic, but we are hearing that on social media every day. So um, my fear that many of the senior physicians uh, in many of the hospitals in the country, especially the countries that have low income and fragile states, uh, have died because of the pandemic and this is a tragedy because it's not easy to replace a physician uh, a doctor or a good nurse all right we're going to take a quick break here at the rayhan and radio show we're talking about coronavirus in the arab world and maybe right after the break let me ask you about uh what are the positives are there any positives which countries really in spite of this you know, the ups and downs of all this really seem to, you know, be doing a good job. So let's do that. I'm Ray Anania. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our guests right after these messages. 
ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bonham serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all seats. DC guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. Now getting your COVID-19 shot gives you a shot to win. Anyone in Michigan 18 and older vaccinated between December 1st, 2020 and July 30th, 2021 is now eligible to win millions in cash prizes, including million-dollar jackpots and $50,000 daily prizes. And back Vaccinated students could win thousands in college scholarships. Get eligibility details and enter at mishottowin.com. Subject to sweepstakes rules. Scholarships available for ages 12 to 17. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And welcome back to the radio show. I'm Ray Hanania, and we have a b- group of guests that are really kind of digging deep into some of the problems that uh, coronavirus has brought to the Arab world in terms of health. And a little later, we'll dig a little deeper into politics uh, in this segment. Uh, I have uh, Rebecca Ann Proctor, who is an Arab news journalist, has covered many Arab world and Gulf stories, and she's worked with refugees in Lebanon and in Syria. We have Amar Benaziz, editor at Al Arabiya, uh, who's going to later give us a little deeper insight into the politics of how 
coronavirus was used by Tunisia for its political turmoil is just completely a disaster today from what it was uh, almost two years ago. And of course, Dr. Zahar Sahlul, uh, this guy is like the Superman of bringing health care to the world. Uh, I don't know how he does it, and we're always honored to have Monier as president of Med Global, which sends medical missions to help uh, undeserved populations and refugees. Uh, we also have Kamal Ben Yunus. Uh, we're having some technical issues with her coming on, but hopefully, if we can get that overcome, we will uh, bring her on to offer some uh, insight on we'll coronavirus. Bring him. Uh, him. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Someone typed her, and I said, okay, maybe I made the mistake. <laughs> and okay, come on, I know it's a man's name. But anyway, um, let's uh, go to that question that I left everybody with. Uh, you know, what are some of the positives? What, you know, what are some of the things that uh, uh, are good that we've seen happen in uh, the Arab world uh, in terms of uh, uh, which countries are doing well, which countries are... Uh, doing the right thing, you know, because we always focus on the negative. But as journalists, that's the big story. But which ones are doing the right thing? And uh, I don't know, being Arab American, I'm going to turn to Rebecca again to start that. And then okay. Amar and Dr. Salvador. <laughs> Go ahead, Rebecca. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think two things. What what I what I have loved, because I, as much as, as you just said, Ray, you know, we always do try and we focus on the negative, but it's always nice to inject a bit of positivity. And, and what has been... Um, I think a silver lining is seeing a lot of the Arab world come, you know, give supplies, give help when it's needed, even in the case like Tunisia recently. Um, and I think that that's a positive thing in a region that is unfortunately really um, stigmatized and continues to have so much um, political turmoil. Forget COVID, it's just been really a challenging time over the last 10 years and, and much longer. Um, but I, it's been nice to see that a lot of countries are at least working together in terms of I think community development, I'd like to say, or just even offering supplies or vaccines, um, help when it's needed. And we did see that the Beirut explosions were absolutely horrific. I mean, they're coming to their one year anniversary next Wednesday. And, you know, we were the UAE sent a lot of supplies. So did a lot of um, other Gulf countries. The same has been happening with Tunisia. Of course, it's never enough, but it's still something. And I think we've also, um, I will say it in a We've also seen over the last year two things that I never thought I would see as I've lived in the, the Gulf for 12 years now, but we normalize with Israel and some people will see that as a positive, some people will see that as negative, but again, it's a region coming together and talking and the same happened with Qatar. So I, I, liked, I would like to try and see these in a positive light um, because it is bringing the, the region in terms of in, in a geopolitical sphere, at least people are um, some working together in some aspects. Um, I think in terms of a place that's actually excelled, I do have to say Dubai. I, I, I think it's been astonishing for a country, um, that country, well, a city, an emirate that literally, you know, right before COVID was in a recession, um, people were leaving, a lot of expats were leaving, you know, it was a really quite a challenging time. Um, but, you know, they found a way to open and, you know, lessen, well, maintain high restrictions, um, and rules and we had a, a lot of people have moved to dubai you know um it's really apartments are filled you know lots of people from the uk from europe from all over the world have come to move there there's a lot of i think with expo 20 um 2020 now happening in october there's a lot of excitement about that so i think i think it does seem to be uh, moving along obviously things are still challenging in terms of you know um the economy things are still not completely to where they where they were in some aspects but in other aspects 
I think there's been job growth in, in the UAE. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, yes, and Saudi Arabia was, you know, I think in terms of particularly in the cultural sphere of entertainment, it was really moving ahead before COVID and now it seems to be um, things are, even though obviously restrictions are still quite um, strict, you know, are still in, in implemented. Um, there are a lot of a new, you know, um, Al-Ula to so many new openings. I mean, Naom, I mean, you name it, that are still, they're still going ahead. But I think Dubai somehow found a way to kind of turn something negative into a bit of a positive. Um, so that's what I see. Dr. Sahlul, uh, I know that you go into areas of conflict oftentimes, but outside of those areas, uh, are there uh, countries that you think, wow, they're doing the right thing, they're making our lives easier, uh, it makes it easier for us to get the health care there? Are any that stand out in your eyes? I mean, I agree with Rebecca that uh, the Gulf states uh, have done very well in terms of the pandemic, even better than the United States, especially United Arab Emirates and the Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, because they have the means, of course, um, and uh, they have done what they have done in terms of implementing of um, measurements uh, is better than us in terms of contact tracing. They use this um, applications on iPhones very well, so population have apps that we don't have in the United States to let uh, to alert them that this person has COVID uh, and that you may be exposed. They use the, these applications uh, in uh, quarantine to help people know uh, who uh, could have COVID and so forth. We don't have that in the U.S. Um, so this is kind of the, the, the hall of fame, as we call it. Jordan is an important country that has done really well in terms of educating the public about the impact of the pandemic, uh, implementing measurements, uh, trying to get the vaccine early. So I think there are uh, two types in the Arab world of governments, uh, responsible governments uh, and the ones who have the means, and I would say less responsible governments that have, have not that well, even some of them have covered the, the real number of COVID uh, uh, patients, like in Syria, for example. Um, studies have shown that the, the official numbers represent 2% only of the real numbers uh, of COVID uh, patients. Uh, and Yemen, of course, because of the civil war that is happening there. I think one of the bright sides that people are talking about health. Um, in, in the last uh, year and a half. And this is important because the Arab world uh, is, um, in, in general, you have a large number of people who have non-communicable diseases, NCDs, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, uh, smoking. So talking about health in particular, even if it's related to pandemic, is a good thing. It will alert the population that there is something else that we need to take care of. Patients who have NCDs, non-communicable diseases, are more likely to die because of COVID. So hopefully that will give an incentive to patients and government to take care of NCDs and treat it also as a pandemic, because there is a pandemic of obesity, hypertension, and diabetes, uh, and heart disease in the Arab world. That's what kills more people than, 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 than COVID. Social media is something that I think we need to pay attention to, because it's a, um, a good platform to educate the public, but also most people in the Arab world get their news from social media. Uh, like us in the United States. Uh, and it's also it's a, it's a bad platform to spread misinformation, and we've seen the impact of misinformation on COVID. And finally, I think we have to pay attention to healthcare disparity. Uh, this is something that is global. You know, in the United States, we have people who were affected, impacted worse than white. Uh, black Americans uh, have lost three years of their life expectancy compared to white Americans who lost one year. The same thing with Latino. 
the same thing in the Arab world. We have disparity between countries that have high income like Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states and countries that have very low income or fragile states like Somalia, Yemen, Syria, uh, and North African countries in general. Uh, and I think this is something that we have to pay attention to. And finally, the Israel and Palestine issue. Israel vaccinated 60% or more of its population, while the Palestinians have, uh, have not, did, were not able to do that because Israel restricted the vaccine to the Palestinians. Uh, and it's the responsibility of Israel to vaccinate the Palestinians. And this is something I think that have, I have not seen that much outrage about it in the media. All right, and Amar, uh, from your perspective, um, countries perspective, that stand out. Yeah, from my perspective, I think Saudi Arabia, it was a good example because for two reasons. For, uh, first, if we compare the number of population in Saudi Arabia with other countries, the similar countries with uh, more than 20 million, 25 million, so the the performance it's it's something that we should emphasize on and the second point is related to the women in saudi in saudi arabia the, the the working women because we we can remember in the first days millions of people they left saudi arabia for their countries the asian uh, uh, migrants so uh, it was an opportunity for women to uh, to fill in the gap and uh, we have to mention that the, the increase in the number of working women in saudi arabia it's increased by seven points which is something really very 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 big all right and uh, this is our final segment with uh, dr sahul and uh, rebecca and proctor but maybe just some final thoughts from both of you if you if you don't mind before we take our last break um rebecca any final thoughts and also uh just some information on how people can follow you on social media and maybe read your reports and stuff like that okay sure thanks ray uh well i i'd like to agree with you know um with, doc with dr zahir i think that Part of the challenge also in, in terms of the media and journalism these days is, as he was saying, social media, we have to really pay attention to. I think that um, it's it's not been easy to report either uh, because the facts keep changing. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're struck. It's it's incredible what we've all what we're living through. And I think we do have to particularly, you know, obviously in the Arab world and Africa is the same where social media is can be a means of, you know, obviously is a means of great information and people follow that more than I think, as you were just saying, watching the news or reading the newspaper, but it's also a means of a lot of misinformation. Um, and misinformation is happening all over the world, particularly in the US where I'm originally from. And, and that's been, I think, part of the biggest challenge of the pandemic. And it's led also to sometimes people lessening restrictions or not paying as much attention to certain um, safety measures when when they should, but at the same time, I think the, the struggle right now is that we're now you know almost two years into this, and and people um, that's where a lot of I think the political turmoil is coming from, which already was you know which already started last year, but it's people need to find a way to feel that they're in control of their lives, but also in control of their health. Um, so I feel that we you know people really need to maintain, as Dr. Zahar was saying, really sort of use social media wisely but how, how how we avoid misinformation i think that's um that's a big challenge and like you were saying particularly in the arab world and um i just i find myself you know we have to try and be extra careful when we're doing reporting and you know abiding to facts because that's where things get um particularly as you're saying challenging to to the spread of a mis 
misinformation and actually could save lives in the end you know um people know what to do and follow what they have to do um but i also really hope that um this is a time where people and nations can can work together on solutions rather than feel that they are you know coming apart and disjointed as we're seeing in, in many cases unfortunately um with many governments as in tunisia this week which is um, quite a sad story because it was, you know, it's been such a model um, nation for the for North Africa and the Arab world. And if you want to follow me and, and read, yes, read my articles, you can follow me on Twitter at Rebecca Ann Proctor, Rebecca A. Proctor. And on Instagram, it's Rebecca Ann, at Rebecca Ann Proctor. All right. Thank, thank you, Rebecca Ann. Oh, you're welcome. And Dr. Seth Lul, um, just some final thoughts that you have, maybe a point that I we didn't bring up that uh, you would want to bring up and uh, how can people get more information on uh, MedGlobal? I mean, uh, MedGlobal, we have a website, medglobal.org, uh, and we're really busy uh, uh, now uh, providing oxygen uh, to some of the countries that were hit hard. Uh, Sudan uh, were, uh, has not been hit hard, but it is expected uh, because we are seeing the wave coming from uh, South African countries and also from North African, and Sudan is in the middle. Luckily, it, uh, the, the pandemic has not been bad in Sudan, but we're uh, trying to get ready there by installing oxygen generator. We're doing the same in Syria, in Lebanon, in Gaza, in Yemen. Um, so if anyone were trying to help in Tunisia right now by sending oxygen concentrators, um, we published two reports about the impact of the pandemic uh, on the healthcare in Yemen and Syria. For people who are interested, these are dig deeper in the in the issue uh, they it, they are available on our website they can follow me on uh, social media on facebook uh, and also on twitter uh, sahlul at sahlul um, and i usually um, uh, follow up the issues related to the global impact of uh, of uh, the pandemic especially in the arab world um, one of the issues the bright side i think that we need to pay attention to that civic society organization have stepped up uh, when the governments were not able to, especially in the countries that have not very effective or functional governments, uh, Syria, Lebanon, and, uh, and other countries, and they provided home care. And this is something I think that one of the bright spots, most of the patients that uh, were treated, were not treated in the hospitals, were treated at home. Um, and home care become now is a model of treatment in low income countries. So providing the patients with the same thing that we are provided in the hospitals with remdesivir, with oxygen concentrators, uh, with decadrone. Um, and, uh, and I think this is one of the things that can be built on for home care uh, in the future, not only for COVID, but for other um, uh, diseases. So I, I think these are some of the reflections that I have. I think one, one intriguing thing is the impact of politics on vaccines. Um, we're seeing some reluctance to use the Chinese vaccine and the Russian vaccines because of politics in the Middle East. Um, and I think the United States is asserting its influence in the world uh, by the fact that Pfizer and Moderna uh, are more effective than the Chinese vaccine. Some of the countries that use the Chinese vaccine are seeing increasing number of uh, cases of, uh, of, uh, of uh, COVID, and this is not good for China. So uh, you have now these powerful countries competing not only by arms but also by vaccines and this is the first thing i you know the first time i'm seeing this in in my life uh, that i'm one i'm i'm one of them sorry yeah uh, uh, sorry i'm one of them because i've taken to be honest i've taken sinopharm two shots and then when i i've done that test of immunity i realized that it was very low so i i've taken 
two more visor now. So now I'm I'm fine. I think. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. And listen, I want to thank I want to thank Dr. Sahlul for Zahar Sahlul for joining us. Uh, and also Rebecca Ann Proctor, thank you so much. We're going to take our final break, and uh, when we come back, we'll dig a little deeper into the uh, Tunisian uh, politics uh, and turn away from uh, coronavirus. Dr. Zahul, thank you again for joining us so much. Rebecca, it's always a pleasure to have you in, uh, on the show and talk to you, too. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back uh, to talk with uh, Amar Ben-Aziz, editor at El Arabiya, right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Imagine you're on a train track. Somewhere miles away, a train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming. Slowly but surely. If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do to manage and prevent diabetes at michigan.gov diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key, are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji, and at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you, and I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F. Or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. Enjoy the first Syrian-style cuisine in Michigan. At Damas Cuisine and Catering, you'll find a wide selection of Syrian foods and sweets in our menu. Like free cake, poise, grape leaves with steak, mashawi platter, hot mahashi, char-grilled kebang, shawarma, and much more. Get super-fast delivery from Damas Cuisine and Catering right to your door. Order online at damascuisine.com forward slash menu and track your order live. Damas Cuisine and Catering, 28841 Orchard Lake Road in Farmington Hills. Call 248-987-4985. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio, and we're 
We're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. A radio show here on WNZK AM 690 AM radio in Detroit and WDMV radio AM 700 in Washington, D.C. Broadcasting on the U.S. Arab Radio Network at ArabRadio.us and also live on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arab News. Uh, we always want to thank the Arab News uh, for all their support in helping to bring the voice of uh, Arab, uh, the Arab world and Arab people to Americans and also to the Arab world. Uh, radio is so important. I wish we had a five-hour show because this discussion really deserves so much more time and detail. One day we may have that. I have about eight minutes left with uh, Amar Ben-Aziz, who is editor at Al Arabiya, and uh, we've been talking about coronavirus. And uh, Amar, it sounds like uh, Tanisha has tried to use uh, COVID as an excuse for their political problems. Tell us what's happening there because it's just gotten, it continues to get worse every day over there. What's the political situation? The political situation, as uh, many people know, uh, a couple of days ago, President uh, Qais, uh, Qais Saeed has decided to refer to the uh, wa- uh, to the constitution, the point number uh, eighty. So he frees, uh, he froze the the, the, the parliament. The, let's let's go back to the history of uh, Tunisian health sector. Tunisia health sector to many people that they don't know that we have to emphasize uh, on that uh, it enjoyed one of the best infrastructure in Africa and the Arab world when it comes to the health uh, sector because uh, until a few years ago in West Africa they called the Tunisair which is the national uh, carrier of, uh, of Tunisia the ambulance because it brings thousands of patients from Africa to Tunisia to be held there in Tunisia because in Tunisia they have the expertise when it comes to the doctors in Tunisia they have a very good uh, quality and also even the the, the hospitals. Let's uh, not uh, uh, forget as well that Libya and Algeria, many of Algerian and uh, Libyan people, they they have access to Tunisian health uh, uh, sector. But suddenly within, within like a couple of years, when uh, Anahda controlled the government and the parliament, there were a lot of uh, a lot of mismanagement in the hospitals, uh, a lack of uh, funds because the funds they went to other to other sectors. They were not vital for the for for for, for the Tunisian uh, people. So uh, when uh, when uh, the the pandemic started in uh, twenty twenty. The government then it was less political because many of them they were they were from uh, let's say just experts except except some like uh, like the the health uh, minister who was from Anahda itself. However, he was under the control of Elias uh, Al who was appointed by the president. So that the government it was a little bit independent from other 
from all parties and they managed to do well so by within five months they controlled the situation and it was they recorded just zero case in in, in tunisia wow. they thought that it was it was enough they thought that it's the first country that managed to control that pandemic so they instead of preparing the next stage instead to listening to experts that they they warned them that there are other waves they are coming just they decided to open up to the world it was the first country that opened the the, the frontiers the borders especially to to european and to the tunisian migrants and, outside and was that and that is uh this uh, islamic party's political opportunity to say hey look yeah. how great we are uh we're past it everything is fine okay. And then Correct. by doing that, suddenly they get another wave of coronavirus that completely Correct. destroys the country. It was, what, what, did they do it to boost themselves politically? Was that course, the reason? It was, yeah, it was a very stupid decision because uh, in, in, the same, in the same time, they changed it. They, 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 they sacked the, 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 uh, the head of government and they wanted to put someone from their, from their perspective. So they had From power. Them. They had power and popularity as a result of this. Decided to use that to improve their influence in Tunisia. Correct. They, and then they, it backfired. Yeah, and 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 then it was the, the third time. It was just a couple of weeks ago when they noticed that uh, President Qais uh, Saied has gained a lot of aid from Saudi Arabia, from France, from UAE, from many countries, and from the in the prospects they are they are waiting. They are looking that within a couple of months they will they will control the situation. So they they started talking about how to remove uh, Hisham Mishishi, that ah. the head, the current head of, of government, to put another one who was their, their, their minister, just to show the people that they are really doing well and to gain profit from Qais Saeed, uh, let's say, effort. And this is one of the reasons why he accused them by playing by the lives of, of Tunisian people by using this pandemic for their for their sake. So is it correct to say that they tried to use what appeared to be a very successful start in dealing with coronavirus to benefit themselves politically and in the process of doing that completely lost control of coronavirus because today Tunisia is in the probably the worst state of uh, coronavirus. Yeah, it's uh, it's among the, the, the top five in the world. Wow, that's really yeah. sad. The rate, Amar, the death rate. Amara, yeah. we we only have a minute left, so I listen. I just want to say thank you uh, for helping us gain that insight because it does explain how does the country go from the most successful to the worst, and yeah. obviously we can see what that answer is with uh, what the Anada Islamic Party has done there. Amara Benaziz is editor at El Arabiya News in Dubai. I want to thank him. I want to thank Dr. Zahar Safloul. I want to thank Arab News journalist Rebecca Ann Proctor. And also Kamal Ben-Yunus, a Tunisian academic. Um, we were trying to get him on the show, but for some reason, I don't know what the technical issues were, we were not able to bring him on uh, during the show. So I apologize to him. We'll try to bring him back another time. But Amar, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure to talk Thank to you. you and everybody. I'm Ray Hanania. I'm here every Wednesday morning, uh, brought to you by Arab News. 
newspaper at arabnews.com and the U.S. Arab Radio Network. You guys have a great week. We will talk to you again. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.